Good afternoon and welcome to Cancer Hold My Beer episode 13. Well, today is September 5th. It is Sunday. Uh, I decided to record this episode a little early uh, because I will be starting to record episode 14 tomorrow and I'm going to do something a little different with it so I kind of needed to uh, record it a day before uh, posting it. So, um, But it's a beautiful day today. Uh, the sun is shining. It is a great day and it is the Labor Day weekend here in Canada. It is great. Um, so back to school for all the kiddos. Just busy getting mine ready for school. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a hopping week. Alright, so let's get started. So this episode this week is going to be uh, basically the world of hospice. So what happens on the flip side? So it's like we have our uh, cancer patients and our survivors that beat cancer. Uh, either they still have it and are still going through chemo, but are doing it for a few years now. Or, um, you know, uh, they're completely healed and there's no signs, no treatments or anything, and they're going to live until they're 80. So um, we have that side. And, but then, of course, we also have the other side, which is, well, what happens if you get a bad diagnosis or prognosis or, um, you know, you've gone through your treatment, but hey, you know what? Uh, we found this and uh, sorry, uh, we can't help you anymore. So, and then, you know, your outcome is not going to be good. So some people feel okay with that and they're still going and they're going strong uh, and they can go strong for years, but a lot of people don't. I mean, it just progresses and it gets worse. And then it gets to a point where they just can no longer take care of themselves. And uh, so they know that the end is near. So you go into palliative care. And the hospice is a really great place to be when you are going through that. Because it's such a different environment than a hospital. Um, it's, it's almost freeing. From what I hear, uh, it's probably one of the best options to do if you know that is where you're going to end up. So um, today that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about different options on uh, how to live your last few days, uh, experiences from people who have experienced it themselves as watching loved ones pass away, um, stuff like that. So it is a little bit more, um, it's a little sadder. It's going to be a little darker, uh, but like everything, everything can't be sunshine and roses. We have to look at that side because that's, it's our reality. Both sides are our reality. So, um, it's the truth. And this is what this podcast is about. It's about talking the truth. So, uh, like any other episode, I have a quote. Now this is my favorite one. Uh, I've been saving this one for this specific episode, actually. So uh, it's more of a little poem. Uh, and I it stands true to me. And I completely believe this. This is where my spirituality kind of comes in. So uh, here it goes. Do not stand by my grave and weep. I'm not there. I do not sleep. I am the thousand winds that blow. 
I am the diamond glint in snow. I am the sunlight on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. As you awake with morning's hush, I am the swift upflinging rush of quiet birds in circling flight. I am the day transcending, transcending night. Do not stand by my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. By Claire Harner. All right. So um, for this episode, we're bringing back Mary from episode nine. Uh, she will be talking about uh, basically the world of hospice, uh, which is the title of this episode. So uh, without further ado, I will bring in Mary. Hi, Mary. Hello, Chantel. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Ready to go. Are you? Oh, yeah. Ready to go. We're on. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'll get you. I already did my little intro earlier. So um, you can go ahead. You can just start. Did you, or did you want me to start the um, to start reading? Can, yeah. You can read. You can read, and if you want me, and we can do some answers and questions, and then if you want me to read, I can read a bit, and we can do whatever you like. Okay, I'll read then. That's good. Okay. All right, so. Here we go. Life is happening. Regardless of where we thought we were headed, Robert Frost reminded us that, that the many twists and turns in the road of like, like the road of life takes us to unexpected places. Therefore, we eventually end up where we eventually. Okay, I'm going to start that over again. <laughs> I, I'm really like butchering this. Okay. Take two. All right. Life is a happening, regardless of where we thought we were headed. Robert Frost reminded us that many twists and turns in the road of life takes us to unexpected places. Therefore, we eventually end up where we end up is often totally beyond our control. The greatest detour, of course, is the devastating path where one's health is forever changed, taking us to places we never ever wanted to go. Quote, modern medical technology is allowing us to live longer and fuller lives than ever before. And for the most part, that is good news. But with changes in the way we understand medicine comes changes in the way we understand death. Once a familiar peaceful and gentle, if sorrowful transition, death has come to be something from which we shield our eyes as we prefer to fight desperately against it rather than accept its inevitability. <laughs> Dr. Catherine Mannix from her book with the end in mind. All right. So what is hospice slash palliative care? Hospice cares aim to relieve suffering and improve the quality of life for persons living with or dying from advanced illness or are bereaved. It is a special kind of healthcare for individuals who are living with a life-limiting illness, usually at an advanced stage. The goal is to provide comfort and dignity as well as the best quality of life for the person and their family. At hospice, 
A family is whoever the person says his or her family is. It may include relatives, partners, and friends. Hospice's objective is not only the relief of pain and physical needs, but also to meet physi physical, physiological, social, cultural, emotional, and spiritual needs as well. Helping people who are ill to live out the remaining time in comfort and dignity. Quality hospice care neither hastens death nor prolongs life. The goal of hospice care is to improve the quality of life for patients and their families facing problems associated with life-threatening illness. Families also benefit from support when their loved one is dying and, other, and after his or her death. The history of hospice palliative care. The idea of hospice originated in the 11th century in the Middle East at the time of the Crusades. The modern hospice movement has its roots in 19th century France, Ireland, and the, US, and the USA. This movement has since spread around the world. By the mid 20th century in Western medicine and healthcare, specialization was advancing rapidly new treatments were being discovered, and there was an increasing emphasis on cure and rehabilitation. Sorry, I gotta take a sip of water. became the norm, and in the hopeless case was viewed as a failure of medical practice. Concerns about improving care at the end of life began emerging in the 1950s. The UK focused on the medical neglect of the dying, whereas in the United States, a reaction to the medicalization of death began to take root. A new view of dying became, began to emerge about the dying process and explore the extent to which patients should and did know about their terminal condition. An active rather than a passive approach to the care of the dying was promoted. Within this, there emerged a determination to find new and imaginative ways to continue caring up to the end of life and beyond it in the care of the bereaved. The first modern hospice, St. Christopher, located in London, England, was founded by Dame Cicely Saunders in 1967. Its aim was to combine three key principles, excellent clinical care, education, and research. Within a decade, the principles of hospice care was being practiced in many settings, in specialists, in patients units, but also in home care and daycare services. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in her book on death and dying, 1969, brought about major change to many important concepts such as living wills, home health care, and helping patients to die with dignity and respect. Her book is, re is a required reading in most major medical nursing and psycho psycho psychology programs. My God, I can't say that word. Her five psychological stages of dying, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. Outlined in her book became accepted as a common knowledge throughout the world. In Canada, hospice care 
was developed to meet local needs largely as a result of the rapid expansion of cancer treatment programs in the 1970s, whereby treatment was defined as either curative or palliative. So that, uh, that there is the history of it, so right back to the Crusades, right? Yes. Yeah, and uh, there was a, a point back there that I, I just wanted to point out, but I have such a short memory if I can just... Uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, I think it's gone. I might have to come back to it later. <laughs> it's but, okay. Uh, okay. Back anyway, <laughs> so let's let's uh, just move on a little bit to uh, okay. what else. Okay, back to Dr. Mannix, source of the quote today. As a new young doctor, she was very quickly introduced to the dying and their death. In medical school, she was taught to do not do no harm. As such, her only job was to keep her patients alive. She had no training in how to deal with people that she could not save. Failure was not an option. In her book, she shares an introduction to the idea that she could actually work with patients in deciding to stop treatment and set about helping her patients to let go. Set about the business of dying peacefully as pain-free as possible and with dignity. This came about when her team leader had a discussion with a patient while Dr. Mannix was present. He approached the patient, starting with, your nurse told me that you have some worries. Would you like to discuss them with me? Having gained the patient's consent, he proceeded. You have been worrying what dying will be like and whether it will be painful for you whether your courage will, fight, will fail. Dr. Mannix was startled when her leader asked, I wonder whether it would help you if I described what dying will be like. The little 90-year-old woman agreed. He said, so let's talk about your illness. First of all, about your pain. Has this been a very painful illness so far? Looking at her chart, he points out that she is taking no regular painkillers saying that, as such, he didn't expect that situation to suddenly change in future. But should that change, they would help to keep any pain bearable. He continues, many diseases cause people to become weaker. Their experience towards the end of life is very similar. He asked for permission to continue. Proceeding, proceeding he says that as time goes by, people become more tired, weary, more sleep boosts their energy levels, feeling less weary for a while when they wake up. That is a usual pattern. From then on, a person becomes progressively more tired. They need to sleep longer and spend less time awake. As time goes by, sleeping more, they sometimes slip into a coma. They are unconscious, unable to take their medications. Other methods are found to make sure that they remain comfortable. So a person often appears to be deeply asleep, but it's actually unconscious. When they awake, they tell us that they had a good sleep. It would appear that they don't know that we have been that we have been unconscious. So at the end of life, a person is simply unconscious all of the time. Then their breathing starts to change, Some, sometimes deep and slow, sometimes shallow and fast. And then very gently, the breathing slows down and then as gently, then as gently stops. No sudden rush of pain at the end. No feeling of fading away. 
no panic, just very, very peaceful. Oh, that was quite a quite a description, and uh, and I think it's beautiful. Yeah, you know, because because it's life, and yeah. and that's the thing we're we're thinking at that moment. Will I be in a panic? Like I'm I'm going from one place to another. Yeah, you know, is hell waiting for me because I've been so bad or whatever. Yeah, but he he puts that beautifully, and and I really love that that he that actually Doctor Mannix. Uh, wrote that and explained it. Yeah. Later, the team leader tells Dr. Mannix that having such conversations is probably the most helpful gift that can ever be given to a patient. By understanding more, the patient is less afraid. Dr. Mannix was amazed that it was possible to generate such conversations with patients. The above information was reworded for efficiency, but the ideas were extracted from Dr. Mannix's aforementioned book, chapter, and titled Patterns, page 18 to 21. Unlike the team leader, I didn't ask if you wanted to know more about the shape and size of death package. I am sorry if I caused you sadness or pain to have so abruptly dropped you into the cusp of the matter. But in the telling, we have opened the door to world of hospice. Hospice, the name puts a voice to the inevitable and instinctively brings to mind a place to which we desperately have no desire to go. It is our mission here to see if we can change the way you feel about this subject. Yeah, so I guess like, I know because when I hear hospice, it's like, because you know what that means, right? It's like, well, I'm not coming back, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And a lot of people don't want that. They don't want to say like, oh, maybe, you know, you should go to hospice. But it's like, although we don't want to, the thing is, it's going to happen. So I would rather be there and do it than to be in a hospital or you know, especially at home, because it's so hard on your family. Unless you have an exactly. understanding of family and they're okay with, you know, doing it at home. But I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it at home. Well, you know, the other thing is, like, it's beautiful for a family to have us as home, at home as long as they can. Yeah. And, and but eventually, especially in places where there's only, like, one caregiver, mm -hmm. they are just so totally burned out. Exactly. And, and, and it, people have even gone into hospice and been there for a while and actually improved and gone back home again. Mm -hmm. And it just a beautiful respite to the person who is just so worn out from yeah. doing their best to take care. So, and, and even like, and hospitals are great and the uh, medical staff do their best to take care of you, but they're, they're so busy with everything else that they have to do. And the hospital rooms, you know, in that pale green that are usually painted or whatever. Yeah. And the windows are out looking over buildings or whatever. That's very, that can be very depressing where the hospices, the rooms are always, you know, they're big and they're bright. They're uh, built to accommodate families. You can have yep. as many. Well, with COVID-19, you're restricted to 
uh, whatever the numbers of the day are, but there's always people allowed to be with you. Yes. And it, it just, and people can be there like for, for weeks or even a, a few months. And it's just a beautiful, a beautiful environment to contemplate your, to live your life. I'm going to say live your life. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't, I don't want my, my goal, like, you know, to la to live my last few days, like, you know, looking at a hospital, like being in a hospital and looking out the window and not seeing like the beauty, just, you know, watching like a window washer and the other building is not my yeah. idea of my last day. <laughs> you know, but I think I told you, I think I told you in the, in the last podcast about where my brother was in, uh, Hospice Mesa and McCullough in Sudbury. Yeah. And in his well days, they could take him out on a wheelchair out onto the, uh, a dock. Yeah. And, and there were chairs out there for the family, like it was big enough yeah. for, and just sit and enjoy the sun and yeah. the water. And, and exactly. I mean, what a gift is that? Yeah. Like, and yeah. that's, that's what I would like. You know, it's like not to be cooped up in a room all the time, you know, and, you know, and, it's yeah, and like you say, like the in the hospital, the nurses are so busy taking care of like so many other patients that it's like, you know, as much as they want to be there to help you as much as they can, they can't be. I mean, right. you know, like their job, like their bodies and their jobs only take them so far. So, right. you know, another another thing that that can happen is that when people are are uh, are ill like that, and uh, they they're just not talking to their family about dying right and the family the family in return is not talking to them because it, it's the elephant in the room right mm -hmm. and, and hospice has volunteers that are trained and, and i hope to be one such person i don't mm -hmm. COVID 19 keeps me away from it but yeah people have been trained to just sit and listen and open ended questions mm -hmm. and so so i if i got the privilege of being a volunteer sitting with a person and if I listen to that person and I hear some clues clues that I've been trained to listen for mm -hmm. I would ask an open-ended question and that person might open up to me and tell me all the things that they are so sad about that they can't mm -hmm. talk to the family about right and then from there I could say well, what do you think? How do you think that we can build a, a bridge to your family so you can have that conversation with them? And so mm -hmm. it just opens it up so that they start to talk. Instead of talking to me, they're talking to the family. And it just it just brings so much joy and so much closeness that would have been lost. And like hospice is not the place to just go head first in and, and foot first out. It's a place to live in between, and it can be yeah. such a wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad we're having this conversation because a lot of people need to hear it. Yes, anybody, that, people said to me when I, like, two, two and a half years ago, I took my course for hospice, and people would say, why do you want to do that? Mm -hmm. like, what's the matter with you? Yeah. And I started to think, what's the matter with me? Why do I want to do that? <laughs> It, it, it's it's a totally it's it's visiting a place that nobody ever wanted to visit to find out that it's actually can be a lovely garden yes yeah yeah 
Anyway, I think we're on to Dr. Atul Gawande. Yeah. Yes. So most you of the following. Or do, you oh, no, go it, ahead. It's up to you. Okay, I'll read. So, you go ahead. Uh, There's a lot more okay. coming. Okay. Most of the following information comes from Dr. Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal. This book is incredible in its vast content of knowledge, which provides a perspective of Western society's medical model which is to cure at all costs versus the, versus the need to learn to, fa to fall as the body breaks down through the age or illness. It should be a mandatory study, a course 101 managing end of life. Tremendous amounts of time are put into planning our wedding day, for example. No small detail can be left unexplored. It must be a perfect day. And so it should be. What makes the details associated with our day of death any less important? The success is all in the planning. The time to take care of the details is now. None of us, regardless of our age, knows when death will come calling. Scout's motto, be prepared. By investing all available waking hours into the cure, we are still avoiding honest discussions about the difference between medical procedures that may prolong our lives, but not the quality and letting go. We fail to discuss the fact that the procedures are unlikely to restore or maintain physical levels. Fact is, the procedures may destroy any further quality of life. Now that I know, because I had a total reconstruction of my bowels, and let me tell you, it is one hell of a road to get back to normal. It's a mess. There's things I still can't do. So I understand that but, one. But but the but on the other hand, it was a medical procedure. Yeah. And the difference is is that you are on the back road back to normal. Yes. You've yes. got steps to go. But there may be cases where having that operation would not take you anywhere back. It would have left you worse off. So right. the, the education is in knowing what what are what are what is the prognosis going to be? And yeah. whether you want it to live with it or not. Right. Right. Yeah, because it's like like, you know, like honestly, if somebody told me that I was gonna die, I wouldn't even bother getting anything else done. <laughs> it's like, you know what, just leave me alone. And let well, me just live. And exactly. that's it. Yeah. So the question Anyways. becomes, oh, okay. So the question no, becomes, when should we try to fix and when should we not? In the U.S., 25% of Medicare is spent on 5% of patients in their final year of life. Most of that money is for care in their last couple of months. Care that is of little apparent benefit. It has been shown that terminally ill cancer and cardiac patients who undergo resuscitation have a substantially worse quality of life in their last weeks than those who received no such intervention. Attached to a ventilator, one's organs shut down, they become delirious, unable to comprehend that they will not survive, perhaps losing the opportunity to say goodbyes or make peace with themselves. Top concerns of people with serious illness have priorities besides simply prolonging their lives. 
They are more concerned with avoiding suffering, strengthening relationships, being mentally aware, not being a burden, and achieving a sense that their life is complete. We need a healthcare system that helps people achieve what's more important to them at the end of their lives. The difference between standard medical care and hospice is in the priorities. Medi medicine's goal is to extend life, sacrificing the quality of one's current existence, the now, performing surgery, chemotherapy, ICU for the chance of gaining time later. <clears throat> Hospice first priority is to discuss important decisions, such as when to make a decision to stop eating. Does eating sustain the body? Does eating cause discomfort, pain that medicine can no longer alleviate? Two, pain medication overuse. Where, where drugs are used for enjoyment, we worry about addiction. There is no such thought with end of life. Without drugs, there is no quality of life where, with unbearable pain, we have no ability to find any enjoyment in our final days. Three, when to resuscitate or not. Where a do not resuscitate order is in place, terminal patients generally do not revive. To resuscitate against a person's express wish in their dying moments is basically disrespectful. Placing a dying person in ICU is a modern tragedy. Hospice's main goal is to help people with terminal illness have the fullest possible life now. Amongst other things, hospice focuses on freedom from pain, discomfort, and maintaining mental awareness for as long as feasible and being with family until the end. These goals are set in place after extensive conversations between the individual and hospice staff. For example, I personally would choose freedom from pain to the point I could still maintain mental awareness as long as feasible. Hospice would honor this wish. However, there are people for religious reasons or other reasons accept and endure pain and suffering. As a young Catholic, I was taught that endurance of suffering should be offered up to the glory of God. Of course, those were the days where pain relief was the aspirin, if you could afford it. Should a resident choose to forego freedom from pain, hospice would acknowledge and support their wishes. The individual's choice, the individual's choice is paramount by the same token. Once made, any decision can be revoked or reversed by the resident at any time. It is all about the person's right to choose and dignity in dying. So going, going back to that, one of the things that I remember what I wanted to say way up at the beginning was yeah. when it says that uh, family is whoever the uh, person says it is. Yeah. So let, let's say um, I have an example where there's a gay couple and mm -hmm. the the birth family is not does not accept uh, the, the gay husband or, or partner. Right. So in I guess in a normal hospital, the real the real family, the birth family might be able to say, well, that person is not allowed in here. And then the, the hospital would not let them visit. Right. In hospice, the very first question they say, who who is it that you want to visit and who do you not want to visit? 
Right. And that per- the person makes it very clear who their visitors will be and who they mm-hmm. won't be. And that's the way it is. The family cannot come in and override that. Right. So and I that's, think that, that's really, really wonderful. Yeah. And I think that's great too, because, you know, it's almost like, and I mean, there are families out there, unfortunately, that, you know, they don't talk for years. The minute that they find out somebody's dying, well, they would just want to go visit them the whole time. You know, and it's like they were never there from the beginning. And then the person that was there from the beginning gets shunned out because, yeah. well, you're not family or, you know, you're not blood. So you can't be here. And then I just find that so unfair because I'm the type of person that's like, I don't my a lot of my family is not blood. A lot of my family are my friends, you yeah. know, so it's like it to me, it's whoever I see as my family. That's who I want around me. And when you're sick, you don't have a voice. Unfortunately, if you're unconscious, you don't have a voice. And it's so and, unfair, you know. And and that's why I was saying that, uh, you know, the, the scouts uh, motto, be prepared. These are the kinds of things that we need to decide before we even get sick. Yes. You know, like, and uh, have it set out so that if you happen to arrive at hospice, because the first thing that they do if you're well enough is they go through all of the things. What do you think? Like if, uh, what about eating? So when you decide that people don't just decide that they're not eating just to upset their relatives, it becomes a chore, something that they don't want to do. And it just, it's a part of the shutting down, right? Yeah. And, and we all, and we're all guilty. We'll bring in what can I bring you? Ice cream? Would you like this? Would you like that? And the, but the person really is beyond eating. Yes. So the hospice personnel have this long questionnaire where they talk about things like eating. And what do you think about, uh, do, you, do you worry about being addicted to drugs or, or whatever are the reasons? So it's not just these three points. They will cover everything. Like who's your family? Um, you know, do yeah. you want uh, a religious person in what what uh, denomination, you know, that type of thing. So the whole thing is geared to what will make your life look the way you want it to look. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, so like I said, these are just three examples. They're three really important examples of, mm. of what they would discuss with you. But they're they're just so totally oriented to what is going to make your life the best yeah yeah and it's it's awesome like you know it's I'm like you know it's like the hospice just sounds like so it's it's relaxed you know and it's not about the people around the patient it's about the patient exactly about what they want and it's like they don't care what anybody else says you know if it's if it's not there it's not happening you know so, and they they with anything that they can make happen, mm-hmm. you just have to make yourself make it known, right? Yeah. And uh, and even with volunteers, like I did have a little bit of experience with COVID of being on the floor, mm-hmm. and if I saw somebody by themselves and they were awake, I'd go in and sit with them, and yeah. maybe I'd go and get them ice cream, or we would talk. Mm-hmm. One one lady, one <laughs> I love this. One lady, I, I walked into it. I'm really new at hospice, so I really don't know how it's different from hospital and, and who's the boss of me, right? Right. Well, I walked into this lady's room, and she's got things from home that uh, make it homey, and she's got 
pictures on the wall of all her grandkids. And mm -hmm. she's got this great big goddamn box of wine on her bedside. <laughs> and she, and she, said, she said, would you like a glass and would you pour me one? Well, of course, <laughs> I, I didn't think that would be very good of me to do. And so, but I did help her to wine and she she had that replaced any number of times. It was hers to have when she wanted. Oh, I awesome. don't know if I'm supposed. To, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell that story, but oops, I just did. <laughs> it just goes to show but what. It's what you want. This is your home. This yeah. is your home. Yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, right. so maybe I'll read. I'll read a little bit if you like. Okay. Here. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Anyway, going back to that last bit where I put in the example of, of myself that I would choose to uh, freedom from pain, as, but I really don't want to be unconscious. I want to be aware and I want to live to the last moment if I can. Right. And the reason I added that was because I, I did uh, talk to somebody at hospice and she, the only, and she loved everything that I wrote. The only thing she was a little concerned about, I was saying that hospice's uh, goal was pain relief mm -hmm. and she said that that but she wanted it also to be people made aware that although pain relief is good and most of us don't want it, most of us want to be pain free mm -hmm. she says there are people for religious or whatever reason that do that need to be able to suffer they're going to suffer right. this for god or whatever Right. And she wanted, wanted it pointed out that hospice respects everybody's ideas. Right. And so that person, even though they were going to have a much harder death, hospice was there for them. And right. they were going to make it as good as they could. But right. she, she felt that was important. So I just put that little personal blurb because I didn't yeah. quite know how to to get the idea across. But so I, I hope that's what did come across is that yeah, they respect no, whatever. Whatever your choice is, they got it. Anyway, the next part, I really loved uh, Dr. Guande. He was just incredible. I loved his book. And uh, anybody that gets a copy of it, because he talks about so much. And he's not, yeah. in fact, it got to about the last 20 pages of the book. And I thought, what the hell are you on about? This has got nothing to do with hospice. And then then he, he, he built up to it. Mm -hmm. And then, but he wanted the reader to see where we were and where we should be. Right. Anyway, I, I, I like uh, this part here. So Gwanda educates us to doctoring methods, emphasis on doctor-patient relationship styles. Okay, so the first one, which has always been around, is the uh, paternalistic doctor tells you what's good for you, suck it up, baby, do what you're told. Mm -hmm. And then the next, they kind of moved into the informative style, and this is where doctors uh, tell you about all the options that are available and mm -hmm. tell you to choose. And right. so, but basically what that comes down to, it's just a sales consumer relationship. And because the doctor is not really taking part in anything or investigating with you, he really comes to know less about the patient and it becomes mm -hmm. more of a specialist. And I mm -hmm. think we're, we're kind of moving out of that. That seems to me where we've been for a while. Right. So, so the let the next one, which is I believe what all young doctors are being taught now, and again, I'm just a layman who reads. I don't know anything, but this is my perspective. Anyway, uh, in the interpretive, the doctor sits down with the patients and says, "What do you need? 
like you mm -hmm. said, that if you were, if you knew that your prognosis was that didn't matter what they did to you, you only had three months to live, you would have chosen to live those three months. Yeah. So in this case, the doctor would sit down and that's what you would tell him. Mm -hmm. And based on that, then he would offer treat a treatment plan that was aimed at you achieving your goal to the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm. well, well, the best, best ride, we know what the outcome is, but you get mm -hmm. the best, right? And the fourth one I really love, this was his own makeup. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's the DTAA syndrome. The damn mm -hmm. one thing, one damn thing after another. Right. He's, it's where the treatments start to cause side effects. And so, and it's the closing phase of a modern life. It's mm -hmm. a mounting series of crises from which medicine can only offer brief and temporary rescue. It does not have a totally predictable path. And the pause between crises can vary. But after a certain point, the direction of travel becomes clear. And uh, so basically what he's all saying there is that we need to be educated to realize that we have choices and decisions made with regard to what we want our treatment to look like or not to look like. And then finally, he, he, in conclusion in his book, he comes to uh, the final achievement. Achievement is in having dignity and death. And once it becomes clear that nothing more will work, Dr. Blonde mm -hmm. points out that two types of courages, uh, courages are required. And you know what? I think this is such a reality. The first courage is to face the truth of what is to be feared and what is to be hoped. And the second kind of courage is the courage to act on the truth as we find it. And that, that's got to be really hard because we, I think when they're offering us all these treatments and we're going for treatments and we're getting this and that and the other thing, we're, we're just going along for the ride, but we're not giving any, any thought to where we're going. We're, we're paralyzed with fear, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's got to take courage to stop and say, okay, well, you know what? I think that this merry-go-round I have to get off of. And so I just, uh, so if you're, you're going to decide whether it's fears or hope. So with fears, you're going to not go into the next phase, which is living out life peacefully, but right. you're going to you know, keep on hoping. Right. So uh, anyway, we have to decide which matters uh, the most. And uh, also in his book, he uh, addresses assisted dying. And he was very concerned about the mistakes that we as a, a society should be mindful of. The mistake of prolonging suffering or the mistake of shortening valued life. And mm -hmm. that's a very, very fine line. Yeah. Um, so, so the assistant dying is there for us. and mm -hmm. But we should still know what it entails, where, when we can stop it, or whether we actually want to continue with it. So it yeah. has to be a really informed choice as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gives an example uh, by 2012, one in 35 Dutch people sought assisted suicide. And he says, this is uh, not a measure of success. The Dutch have been slower than others in, develop in developing palliative care programs. Mm -hmm. He points out that about half of the people who actually re request assisted dying uh, don't choose this help in the end. They are secure mm -hmm. in the fact the option is available to them. And I think that's pretty pretty good too. Yes. Yeah. Okay, once again, I believe that being mortal should 
uh, be a 101 course in the understanding uh, end of life choices. And I think it should be taught when kids are in college and university. Yes. So with my own personal experiences as hospice, my brother's family would attest to the fact that Mason McCulloch Hospice in Sudbury beautifully adheres to and strives to achieve goals as described in this podcast. And as for myself, I've become familiar with Hospice Peterborough, where should COVID-19 leave us? And I remain able. I would love to participate as a volunteer, having taken the mandatory 10-week training course and undertaking other online studies and suggested readings to help me to be a more understanding and compassionate helper. So when it comes down to local hospices, uh, thanks to generous volunteers and don uh, donor support, hospice offers the best possible support to individuals and families living with or affected by living uh, life-threatening illness and grief. And and those supports talk about grief uh, groups mm-hmm. and they have children's group where a parent is dying. So they have pre-grieving groups, if you want to call it, where they take children in and uh, they work with them and talk to them and give them a voice in, in this this whole uh, scenario that that they have no idea what's happening about. So so it's not just being nice to somebody and sitting and get them ice cream. It's the mm-hmm. whole support system for their whole family and psychologically and emotionally. Um, so the teams of specially trained staff and volunteers work together to care for the whole person. Uh, improve quality of life and enhance comfort. When individuals and families come to hospice, they realize they are not alone. Mm-hmm. Hospice staff and volunteers actively listen and offer non-judgmental support and respect for all. And that is for every uh, race, religion, doesn't matter. Every Everybody is treated absolutely the same. Yeah. So the programs and services are offered free of charge to residents. Uh, these may include home support, day hospice care, uh, support group, grief groups, family support, and wellness programs. Mm-hmm. Staff and volunteer also work with clients and their families to advocate for excellent hospital palliative care within the health and social service care system and within the family unit. Uh, they Volunteers even go out into the community. Like that mm-hmm. is one of my goals is yeah. that I would have a person that I would be able to uh, go and visit once a week. Right. Uh, I'd want to be able to go more, but they, they don't want their volunteers to be burnt out. Right. But that would give respite to the uh, caregiver. Yeah. And uh, it gives the the uh, person themselves somebody new to talk to. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Until COVID <laughs> settles down, that's not going to happen. That makes me very mm-hmm. sad. So uh, anyway, I'd like to emphasize that every hospice uh, differs in services that they can provide. So contact your local hospital to see exactly what they can offer you because mm-hmm. they can't all offer some are bigger, some are smaller. Peterborough mm-hmm. until about two or three years ago did not have a facility with beds. They they had volunteers who have worked for over with Paul building hospice for 25 years. They had a house that had several uh, group room uh Yes, rooms for groups for grieving and whatever. Mm-hmm. But then they managed to get 
generous donations and they built a beautiful 10 bed uh, facility that is just incredible. And that's, I, I never knew the other building, but, but until three years ago, they didn't have that aspect. Right. Right. So, so every one of them is different. In addition to our local hospice, Ontario supports hospital palliative care, Ontario and HPCO is a provincial association for hospices and palliative care providers throughout Ontario. And they strive for a future where every person in Ontario has access to quality hospice palliative care. And you can read more about HPCO online. They offer courses that are open to hospice and palliative care providers. They offer uh, courses as well to anybody, individual, for information and study purposes. And one of the courses that I took and I recommend to, to everybody is taking care of the caregiver. Oh, yeah. That is so so important. Yeah. And they also give, they also give courses on taking care of the patient. You know, to such things as uh, giving them bed baths and how to turn them and not hurt yourself and you right. know stuff like that. The, yeah. the courses are unlimited. Wow. Anyway, the last thing I have to say is that I need to emphasize that the ideas expressed in this podcast are based solely on personal minimal exposure studies and interpretation of material read and books and on the internet, and in no way, shape, or form, and I, as, am I a spokesperson for hospice or any other organization? Thanks. And that is a whole lot of information. Yes, it is. But it's good information, though. It's information that uh, we all need to know. Yeah. You know, and I mean, a lot of people, you know, some people are afraid to ask about it. But the fact that, you know, this is why I want to bring it out in the open, because it gives people an opportunity to get the information without having to, you know, go out and find it because it, it can be uncomfortable. And the you other know? thing, I, I have a friend who died recently and his wife was his only caregiver mm -hmm. and they were totally isolated. And oh I tried to, I, they were kind of, uh, he was kind of, kind of a hermit, right? Right. And uh, she carried the burden of, of his illness for like uh, about 15 months. She was totally burnt out. Wow. And, and I gave her the information and I told her I'd even talk on her behalf, but she, she just didn't think so. But like their life could have been so much easier. People would have yeah. come to the house and helped out a little bit. She did have PSWs, but that PSW has such a little yeah. yeah, they've such a short time that they can hardly do anything. Yeah. 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 So I think it's an incredible movement and it shows that, you know, people really are compassionate. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, is there anything that you can think of or no, I think I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, one quick question. Um, I know that not every hospice uh, offers like the same uh, types of uh, services, like especially like the the assisted suicide. Um, now, and then some hospices have certain things that others don't. Is it just like a a monetary? Uh, thing like is it because they're, they're they need donations they need support or is it they need different resources or like they don't have the funds for the resources like is that why everything's different or is there another reason 
No, I think that hospice, uh, you know, as I was saying, the HPCO, I get my letters right there. Uh, that's an organization that, uh, that kind of, they, they, kind, they don't set standards. The standard, standards have just developed over the years. So oh. I believe that everybody has the same standards. And you're right. It comes down to finances because Peterborough did not have a facility with beds because it took 25 years of fundraising to come to the to get the millions of right. dollars that were needed yeah. to build an outfit. It's not just a building with rooms. It's the special right. equipment and, and uh, all that stuff. And wow. uh, so, as I said, a few years ago, Peterborough wouldn't have had that. Lindsay doesn't have that, but Lindsay has the most incredible... Uh, grief uh, palate, uh, grief uh, processing uh, right. whatever I've lost my word there it's okay the, <laughs> I know you can, so you like can get grief, it uh, counseling and stuff like that that's the word counseling yes yeah. uh, and who knows and but it, as I said going back to what uh, HPCO is, uh, is striving for a future where every person in Ontario, in Ontario has access to quality right. hospital palliative care it really does need funding. I think that you'll find that Sudbury's, I, I'm, I have no idea politics and nobody gets to quote me on this because I could be talking at the top of my hat. But mm -hmm. it seems to me that, that Sudbury is actually, actually a more prosperous place than most places. Mm -hmm. And I think that's got to do with one, that the mines are there. So it, it gives a, a pretty good cost of living to people. Right. And then you have all these services like the hospital and, and the university and all these other uh, service places. So there, and the people that are there seem to be generous with their money. And that's why there's such an incredibly beautiful hospice in Sudbury. Mm -hmm. So it it's what the support in the community does. And, and there's fundraisers, like I'm gonna be in Sudbury next week. I probably told you this a million times. And my niece and I are doing a virtual walkathon. Every day we're walking oh, yeah. the dog. Yeah, and uh, so um, my friends here in Peterborough will be supporting me, and I'll make that contribution to hospice. So, yes, hospice would love to have everything, but they can only have which have what was in their physical means at the time. Right. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yes, it does. Right. Anything else? Not that no, I know I... anything more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're good. I think we're okay. good. Well, thank, thank you for having me. And uh, maybe we'll see you in Sudbury. Yes, we plan oh, on it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna set up a day. Okay, then. Okay. Well, thank okay. you. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Thank you. All right, so that's it. Um, like I said, it was a little dark, but it wasn't as dark as I thought it would be. Uh, it actually made me think a lot of, about a lot of things. Uh, made me think about hospice a lot differently, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you're given that outcome, you know, if it was me, I would much prefer just to live my life and just accept the fact that I will die. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to die right away. It can mean you're going to die right away, but at least you have a chance to just live your life the way you want to live it and exactly the way you want to live it and not have to you know do it the ways that 
you know, doctors want you to do it and stuff like that. So, I mean, I completely agree with that. That is something that I would do for sure. But anyways, I will conclude this episode right now and hope everyone has a beautiful, beautiful day. Enjoy the long weekend if you're in Canada. And uh, like I always say, live your life to the fullest. Bye for now.